This is Safety Bri, your number one safety geek. Why do we have the behaviors that we do? Superheroes in the workplace, right? All of those things that go into making you an effective safety manager. I love what we do. Motivation, learning, teaching, training, teamwork. I geek out over that just as much as I do safety. Hello, 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 all my safety friends. Welcome to episode seven of the Safety Geek podcast. This is Bri, your number one safety geek. How are you guys doing today? I will tell you, I am sitting here at my desk and I am lucky enough that I've got this big, beautiful window right next to my computer screen And I get to look out, and right now, it is nothing but greenery. It is beautiful. I have my backyard. I do work from home, so I have my backyard. But then the lot behind me is nothing but greenery. So I get this great view, and I can see whether or not the sun is shining, and I love it. And it gets me thinking because, for one, I'm losing this view. Because as we speak, they are bush hogging that lot and clearing it to build a house. But secondly, for the longest time, I worked in an office that did not have a window at all, and I hated it, and I begged and begged and begged for a window. And I finally got moved to an office that had a window, and I find I, I, find I get very distracted by the window <laughs> because I just love to sit here and look out the window. Um, So, you know, everything has its pros and cons, right? Like you can work in this dungeon with no window. Or you can have this beautiful view, but then maybe not get as much done. <laughs> I will tell you the best office I ever had. The, it had windows, but the windows looked out to the warehouse. And it wasn't right to the warehouse. It was to a dock. It was also the walkway to the manufacturing area. So I could see out my door and out my window to the man, the back dock of the manufacturing area. But then I could also see the warehouse workers too, because my office is right next to the warehouse managers. So it was wonderful. It was like the best location ever. Still very distracting. <laughs> and I, and people used to like stand at my window and look in too. But I, I loved it because it, I kind of felt like I was in the middle of it type of thing. I'm sitting here now a little depressed because I know that these next couple days are going to be it for me seeing my lovely greenery. And I'm going to have nothing but construction for the next six or eight weeks looking out this window and it's going to be very sad. But and it's so funny that I'm talking about windows because our topic today is the broken window theory. I love talking about the broken window theory. It is something that I have studied on and off for, oh gosh, 10, 15 years now, I think. I absolutely love it. It is not a safety theory. It is actually a criminology theory. But the first time I was introduced to it, it was at a safety conference. And strangely enough, it was an IT manager that was speaking at the safety conference about how they took the broken window theory and applied it and how they believe that it could be applied to safety as well. So that kind of got me on the whole uh, research of broken window theory and then just really thinking about it. And it has never really left my mind all of these years. So that's why I wanted to share it with you. So those of you that are not familiar with the broken window theory, It is a criminology theory that states 
that visible signs of crime, antisocial behavior, and civil disorder create an urban environment that encourages further crime and disorder, including serious crimes. Okay, so the way you want to think about it, and it was actually an article that was written in 1982 by criminologists James Wilson and George Keeling, and it was put into place in New York City um 1984, 1990, and, and so on, in the Rudy Giuliani era. And, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what I want you to think about the broken window theory is that if you have, the reason why they call it this is like, let's say that you have a house that is abandoned, but the house is in perfect shape. It's well taken care of. The lawn is taken care of. It's, it's kept clean, it's kept neat, it's kept locked up, right? Nothing is wrong with the house. It could literally stay like that forever. And you actually see that with rental properties, right? Rental properties that are, uh, are empty, waiting for renters, but they're taken care of, so nothing really happens. But the minute a window is broken, this is why it's called the broken window theory, the minute a window is broken and it is not repaired, slowly but surely, you are going to see total disorder and disruption around that that house. Pretty soon, more windows are going to get broken, right? Because you'll have vandals. You will um, also notice if they're not going to fix the window, they're not going to take care of the yard. So you're going to have like buildup of weeds and debris in the yard, just from storms and normal um, life, you know, things like that. You might end up getting squatters, into the house, right? And then squatters come with, you know, crime and things like that. So that's where the broken window theory comes from. Now, how this was popularized in New York City, the in the early 80s, they had a lot of crime in the subway stations, a lot of crime to the point that people really didn't even want to ride the subway. It became very scary to ride the subway. And uh, David Gunn was hired to police the subway station, I guess you could say. And he was a fan of this broken window theory. So he put into place some of the stuff uh, with this theory. So he actually focused on graffiti. And people thought he was crazy. You know, you have all this crime. Why are you focusing on spray paint on the walls? But the idea is that if you clean up the graffiti, it's going to help reduce crime. And in 1990, Bill Bratton was hired um, as a head of the subway, and he also believed in this theory. And instead of focusing on the crime, they focused on fare evasion. So what people were doing at the subway station, they were actually jumping the turnstiles and not paying for fares. So he actually implemented, and I read this recently, I read the book by Malcolm Gladwell called Tipping Point. Excellent book, by the way excellent, excellent book. I will put a link in the show notes to it if you are interested in reading it. But I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan too. So I kind of love everything that he writes. But in Tipping Point, he kind of laid out how they focused on the the fare evasion. They actually made it easier to process criminals so that when people were found evading fares or doing petty crimes within the subway station, they could very easily get charged for it. They, you know, brought in more police officers to police, you know, all of these petty crimes. And the overall result was a reduction in crime in the subway station. 
And then the next thing that happened is that Rudy Giuliani, he ended up being the mayor of New York City, and he hired Bratton as a police commissioner. And then Bratton ended up doing these same sort of things within the police department in New York City um, in the late 90s, I think it was by that point. So the thing is, is that New York City saw a dramatic reduction in crime, and a lot of people attribute it to the broken window theory. Now, there are arguments saying that it didn't work and that people are, you know, making it popular when it's not true and that there really was no cause and effect in New York City, that it was not the broken window theory that did it. It was, you know, you're piggybacking on other trends that were happening. There was ar- there was already a downward trend in crime in New York City at the time. And that's possible. But to combat that, a lot of psychologists actually did controlled experiments on the broken window theory. And over and over again, they saw that, yes, it did reduce crime, sometimes up to 20%. So that's how it became popularized. And that's kind of the background of the broken window theory. And you might be going, Bri, come on now. This is a safety podcast. Why are we talking about this? (laughs) And the reason why I am so fascinated by this theory is that you can literally apply it to everything. I mean, if you if you think about this, you can apply it to, think about like your garage, okay? So a lot of people's garages and their homes become dumping grounds. So let's say that you spend the springtime and you clean out your garage and you organize it and you put everything nice and neat. And then we all do this, by the way, for like, two weeks, maybe even six weeks, every time you go to use something in your garage or put something away, you put it away in the right place. And the garage stays nice and neat. Everything is organized. Your job is easier. Anything that Any task that you want to do around the house, it's easier because you can find your tools. You know where they're at. Everything's in good order, right? All it takes is that one time your teenager, you know, borrows some tools or starts using tools for a a school project. And instead of putting them back where they belong, they just get dumped in the corner and they go, oh yeah, we'll put those away later. Last year I had to do a school project with my teenager and we ended up with the junk of the school project sitting in a corner of the garage, just waiting to be dismantled and disposed of, right? So Maybe it's that. Well, then you end up having this junk in your in your garage, and then you you use a hammer, or you go to get some light bulbs, and you just leave the debris in the garage, or you've parked your car, and you pulled some trash out, and you go, oh, I'll put that on the workbench, and eventually I'll put it away. That's how things lose control. That is the broken window theory in action. One little thing happened, and then all of a sudden, your garage is a mess again. This is why we can't keep things neat. Um, I'm a quilter. I, I love to sew, I love to craft, I love to quilt. And in, in quilting, we have these things called UFOs. They are unfinished objects. <laughs> they are unfinished quilting projects, and quilters love to just start quilts over and over again. I have even applied this to that, where if I can finish one project, I'll finish another, finish another. But if I allow myself to not finish something, it becomes a broken window. All of a sudden, I have 15 to 20 unfinished projects. All it takes is that one little thing and everything um, kind of explodes from there. So I used to have to commute to work two hours one way. 
because I absolutely love where I live and I didn't like the neighborhood where my job was at and I wanted the job. So I commuted, I commuted two hours one way. So I had a lot of time driving down the road and you know, occasionally you'll see like a car parked on the side of the road. It'll be there for days, especially when you make the same commute. And this was, I had to go down a lot of back, not back roads, but it was a lot of two lane highways. It wasn't, it wasn't an interstate drive for me to get to work. It was a lot of two lane roads and you'll see like cars parked on the side of the road for who knows what reason, right? Maybe they broke down and they're waiting for a tow. I have no idea, but you'll see a car sitting there and it'll be fine. And then I would watch it and I would automatically think about is if somebody breaks that car window, it's going to all go to hell, right? So I would watch it for days during my commute. And sure enough, there was at least two occasions in the, I think, how long did I do that commute? Um, seven years I did that commute. There's at least two occasions where sure enough, uh, a window got broken in the car. And then that was it. Next thing I know, the next day, there's two or three windows broken, tires slashed. It's just the way it goes. So that's why I'm so fascinated by this theory, because you can see it in action in so many things within our lives. So how does This apply to safety, right? I can go on. I can give you tons of examples of other ways in our lives. And actually, my notes, I think I have like three or four more examples, but I think that you're getting the point. But how can we apply this to safety, right? Think about like the maintenance of our equipment. If we don't maintain our equipment, it becomes a safety hazard, right? It's it's unsafe to operate somebody can get injured operating it, maybe things don't work right. It also affects productivity and quality. If our equipment is not running correctly, all it takes is one small damage to equipment and it not being repaired. And then what'll happen is a broken window theory will go into action and they'll, they'll show like, oh, well, you don't care about that damage. So why would you care about this damage? And then if you don't care about those two damages, then obviously you're not, I'm not going to be as careful with this machine or piece of equipment because you don't care about it either, right? I think about this with trucks, right? And delivery trucks and, and the vehicles within our businesses, right? If I was to loan somebody my car and they were to bring it back to me damaged, let's say they backed into a pole or something like that. I've seen that a lot. And they were to bring my car back to me damaged, I would be pretty upset. And I'd want to get that damage fixed right away. But here we have delivery trucks or things like that where they ding it, they dent it, they back into the pole and everybody says, oh, that's just a minor issue. It's not that big of a deal. We're not going to rush out and fix it. But all it takes is that one dent And you're going to get more dents, more dings, more everything. Um, If you actually focus on those dents and dings and fix them, then people will take care of the equipment better. So I went to this training one time about fork. Was it about forklifts? I don't know. I remember being at this training one time and I was talking to somebody who was a forklift trainer at his organization and they were having issues of people dinging the forklifts. It wasn't a big deal. It was like scraped paint type of dings. But still, you hit anything with a forklift, that's like a whole issue because you shouldn't be hitting anything with a forklift. So one of the practices he put in place was 
at the end of the shift, you know, if you hit anything, that forklift got repainted got repainted immediately. And he actually put it in place that the the person that had the forklift that day, they actually had to repaint it. And his number of incidents dropped dramatically. And I think that this happened twofold. One, it showed that, hey, we cared about the equipment. So we don't, you know, if you're given nice equipment, you're going to take care of it. So whoever used the forklift next, it was nice. It was shiny, had this nice new paint job. They took care of it. I think the other piece that was happening there was that people didn't want to work late and paint forklifts. Not that doing that is takes that long. It really doesn't. It takes literally minutes. But I found that interesting because he was applying the broken window theory. Maybe he didn't call it that, but it's basically what he was doing. So that's how you can use it in safety. It will actually help you reduce accidents and injuries if you focus on the minor stuff. So where New York City applied it to crime, you can apply it to accidents and injuries. You can get people to actually follow safety procedures if you focus on the minor stuff. So in the IT presentation that I saw, their focus was on addressing reported issues. And they said that what they did in their IT department was that Anytime anybody reported an IT issue, software wasn't working, their password wasn't, I don't know, there's tons of IT things. What they would do is immediately address that issue. If an employee reported something to them, they would drop what they were doing and that became top priority to fix, regardless of how minor it was. And that once it was fixed, they then communicated it back to everybody, showing the staff at their corporation that they cared about these minor issues. And what happened was they had a marked decrease in IT issues just by doing this. So that's where in this presentation that I saw so many years ago that first introduced me to this theory, that's where they were like, you can do the same thing with safety. Step one is identifying your broken windows right? So step one is going, what are the anti-safety behaviors that are happening within my organization? It could be something as simple as uh, them throwing debris on the ground. It could be them not taking care of equipment. It could be, um, you know, them horseplaying, whatever. First, look at your organization and find the minor anti-safety behaviors or the anti-safety attitudes and identify them. And then start with what's going to affect employees the most. So you know what you want to improve, but out of this list, what is going to affect them the most? And some things could be completely minor, right? It could be cafeteria issues or the locker room issues. You know, if you have a nice cafeteria for your employees, a nice place for them to take their breaks, that that translates to making them feel better about the company. And if they feel better about the company, they'll take care of the equipment, right? And then the next thing is to, you know, look at the equipment themselves. You know, 
survey your employees and ask them what is important to them. What would make their lives easier? What do they wish that we had in place or that we fixed right away that would make their lives easier? As I'm sitting here and they are bush hogging the lot behind me, I am looking at this piece of equipment that the people are using and it is stalling constantly. Like literally every five to seven seconds, their piece of equipment is stalling and they're having to, you know, restart it. So what I'm constantly hearing is the engine getting restarted. It's what that is resulting in is frustration for that worker. It's resulting in the job taking longer. And this is day two of the bush hogging. And this is a small lot. They, they, would have been able to do this, finish this yesterday, but they had to take it away to try to repair it. So why wait until things break down? If you fix the minor equipment issues right away, you can actually end up having a nice piece of equipment that people can use to do their job. Keep in mind, I I do understand that bush hogs are going to get dented and dinged. They're tearing down trees, you know, but in, in the workplace, most equipment is not going to get dented or dinged. Like you have a delivery truck, there's no reason for that to have any dents in it whatsoever. But unfortunately, a lot of people accept all of those dents and dings, right? So survey your people and ask them for suggestions and then start working on them. Anything that an employee reports to you You need to prioritize addressing it immediately, like, and repeatedly without hesitation. That's how the graffiti thing worked with the subway, because they would clean up the graffiti, right? And then the next day, it was back up again, and then they would clean it up again. And they kept doing that repeatedly. And after a while, people are like, I'm just going to take, I'm going to stop spray painting the cars because they're, they're just going to ruin, they're just going to paint over it anyway, right? That's how the graffiti thing worked. So what'll happen is let's say that you have some damage in the cafeteria. Someone's like, I don't know, not taking care of, of the coffee machine in the cafeteria and you fix it. And then a week later, they do it again and it breaks again and you fix it again. You just keep doing it. You do it without hesitation because yes, one person might've damaged it, but eventually people are going to be like, Hey, take care of that equipment. You know, they don't want to have to keep wasting their time fixing it because that's just human nature. That's what we do. Right. And then the last step in applying this is that you have to report back to everybody what you did. And I love this program that you said this, we did that. All right, that's how it works is that you go, okay, you said this and we did that. You said the coffee maker was broken, we fixed it. Um, We noticed the bush hog was not working. We are taking these steps to fix it. Communicating back to everybody what you're doing every single time is super important. And you're communicating it without blame. You're not saying warehouse Joe hit the racking. So we repainted the forklift. It's like, hey, this shift ended and there was damage to the forklift. It's been repainted and repaired. Just constantly communicate back to your employees what you're doing. And eventually this does take time, guys. So you have to be patient. But eventually, they will start taking care of your equipment right? You will start seeing that change in behavior. 
I'll tell you, this came up to me recently because my son, his job is roadside assistance for AAA. And he does not get paid very much to do his job. The If you ever see those roadside assistance people, they get paid pennies and people try to not pay them very much, by the way. They live off of their tips. <laughs> so always tip your AAA guy. Because it is such a low margin business, the equipment, you know, they don't have a lot of money to fix all the equipment. But at the same time, they're creating a cycle because they're not fixing the equipment. So something as simple as they had an old truck and the headliner kind of got dry rotted in it and started to fall down. And instead of fixing the headliner right away, which there are multiple ways that you can do that relatively cheaply, um, they just let it go. And then what happened was that one of the workers started like picking at it because AAA drivers are sitting around a lot, started picking at it, and then the whole headliner got torn apart. Well, then once the headliner got tore apart, then the dashboard started to get broken up, and then the seat started to get broken up. And it was just, I sat back looking at his truck one day going, this is why if they had just invested a little bit in their equipment ahead of time, you wouldn't be at this point where this truck is now basically salvage. <laughs> I mean, it is. it was in such bad shape by the time he showed it to me, you know, they had no air condition, the air conditioner was broken in it, and that didn't get fixed. It was just craziness. So what you have to realize is that yes, this is going to cost some money in the beginning. But in the long run, it does save you money. And it makes your company more profitable. But you have to focus on fixing the broken windows, focus on fixing the little things every day, every week. Keep things nice and neat. I tell you, I can walk into any business just by looking at their maintenance department and the maintenance and upkeep of their facility, and I can say whether or not what their safety culture is is like. Because if you're not taking care of your employees, they're not going to take care of your stuff. And it's just going to cost you a lot more. All right. So that is the broken window theory. I hope that you enjoyed it. Definitely check out Malcolm Gladwell's book. I'll also put a link to the Wikipedia page on it if you want to look look at more about it. And there's tons of books on the broken window theory. I don't know of any that apply it directly to safety. Every book I've read is just about criminology, but it's just such an interesting interesting thought. And you can put this to test in your facility just by doing it in one department and seeing how it improves the safety of your area. Because eventually you will change your culture just by doing this. So, all righty, guys, that is all that I have for you today. I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Um, Lots of great topics coming up. And um, be sure that you check out the Facebook page as well, because we do Facebook lives on there too, where I'm answering questions and whatnot. So thank you so much for your time. And you guys have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Check out the show notes and links for this week's show at www.asksafetygeek.com. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. There are occasional bonus episodes that I don't always advertise and you won't want to miss them. Hey, one more favor. 
leave a review on that app too. It helps others find the show. Thanks. I really appreciate it and can't wait to talk to you next week.